This podcast is brought to you by Adventures in Homebrewing. Next time you need some equipment or some ingredients for your next beer, wine, or even spirits. Yes, guys, they do stuff for spirits. You can order from the comfort of your own home. Most orders are eligible for free shipping in the lower 48, over $50, and they do have international shipping as well. They even have flaked products. This is great for us distillers. Flaked barley if you're wanting to do an Irish-style. Flaked corn means you don't have to boil the stuff. You can just pop it into a mash. And flaked rice, rye, and wheat. Visit homebrewers.org ctc. That's homebrewers.org ctc to visit their specials page. That link won't cost you anything extra, but it does help me out considerably and support the podcast. This podcast is also brought to you by the Patreons. I can't thank the Patreons enough. They are literally the people that keep the lights on here. So thank you so much, guys. If you're finding value in these podcasts or the Still It videos, head on over to chasethecraft.com support to find out all the ways that you can help me keep on keeping on. Patreon allows you to sign up for a monthly pledge and in return get some little rewards. Rewards like the Q&A session with Daniel at the end of this podcast. Among other things, Daniel is a musician and he's in marketing, but today we're here to talk to him about his distillery, The Crowded Barrel, in Texas. He's also part of the dynamic duo, Daniel and Rex, that run the Whiskey Tribe and the Whiskey Vault, which is absolutely taking the whiskey world by storm. They started these YouTube channels before they even considered opening The Crowded Barrel. They grew so quickly that they were able to crowdsource the world's first crowdsourced distillery. How crazy is that? So their distillery may be small, but that's not what is important. What is important is their ideas, the things they come up with, and the way they treat the people in their tribe and the people in their Patreon, which, you know, pretty much own the distillery. Daniel! Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, mate. It's an absolute yes. pleasure to be able to talk to you again. It's been a while. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I haven't seen you since we uh, hung out on the back deck at uh, Spencer's and barbecuing and then the, the tribe gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of which were awesome nights. Thank yeah. you for both. Yeah. That, um, that last, the, the tribe gathering, the tribe gathering, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even drinking. I don't have an excuse for this. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, I'm, I'm gonna do enough for the both of us. How about that? Yeah, yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, for those <laughs> of you that can't see this, Daniel's already uh, knee deep in a glass of what are you drinking? It looked like a green bottle of some description you had before. Ah, yeah, right, yeah. a 10. I'm just I'm going simple and classic, nice. Uh, and you've got a and you've got a cigar fired up, mate. So mm -hmm. we're gonna get relaxed, Daniel, tonight, which is good. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but that that tribe gathering was absolutely amazing. I, yeah, you know, that that was stunning work on your part. And even more stunning work, I think, on the on the part of the people that turned up, right? The, the, yeah, no, you know, I think the, the magic of that is not that we held it. The magic of it is all the people who attended making it such an astounding event. Because uh, it could go any direction, really, right? But uh, when you get 500 people on a property and you have no drama, no problems, no conflict, no ridiculousness, nobody has to be curbed, it's just... It's amazing. Every time we finish those events, the uh, distillery reps who are at the tables pouring stop by me or Emma on the way out and go, please let us come back here next year. This is our favorite <laughs> event that we ever do. It's not the biggest event that they do, but it's it's a joy to do it for them. It's the people are so enthusiastic about whiskey and with no uptight snobbery, you know. No, there's cool. no yeah. no one's there trying to stand out and one up each other. Mm -hmm. At least you count shenanigans. I guess there's a fair bit of trying well, to one up everyone and shenanigans. Just me and Rex. Yeah, just me and Rex. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's and it's great just to be in a position to be able to turn up and feel like you just you belong. You know, it, yeah. everything else can get out of the way. Politics, religion, all of that bollocks that that yeah. causes hangups just melts when. Everyone knows they're there for the love of something. And I unified. loved walking into that YouTube courtyard every time and thinking like, I feel like I walked in on this massive party. <laughs> and I, could, I never got to stay because, you know, our schedule on that event is pretty packed. And so Rex yeah. and I are always moving back and forth intentionally to multiple places. 
And so I only got to pass through the courtyard like twice the whole day. And each time for only like a flit through. And uh, every time I was like, man, this is where the real party is. I don't want to, I don't want to go. This is all, everyone's like roaming around shooting content and sitting at each other's tables and like, ah, so cool. That was very, very cool. Especially mm -hmm. for someone like me who's stuck down here on the bottom of the, you know, the arse end of the planet. Yeah. I don't, I don't find people to collaborate with down here. I don't even, right. you know, it's hard to even find people to drink with that, that are on the same level, not in terms <laughs> right. of awesomeness, in terms of drinking to no, enjoy no. it. We know not you for... mean awesomeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, being able to, to just roll up there and have, you know, literally 10 other channels that are in such a closely related space to be able to sit yeah. down and, with, and, and shoot content with is just an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And such and a diverse whole you know, weekend. style, you know. So I love oh, it. Totally. So many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, that weekend. Movie. I don't participate in all the other stuff that happens on that weekend because Oh, you've got your hands full, man. I'm way too many other things going on. But th that weekend has turned into quite the bonanza. Oh, it has. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I don't see anything happening except for that growing. It's gonna turn yeah. into a week before you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the that's the cool but thing. I don't have to manage it as long as I don't have to manage no. it. No. I don't care. No. You know what yeah. it reminds me of like in Austin, I discovered so Austin only recently, and by recently I mean in the last like ten years or something, uh became a host for the Formula One uh racing, right? And it wasn't until it showed up in Austin that I discovered, I thought I was like, oh, there'll be some races there one weekend. That is not how it works. <laughs> it's oh, like, really? The, the Formula no One, oh no, the Formula One is a, there are companies who make astounding amounts of money and their only business is following Formula One around the world. Wow. And, and holding and hosting and running parties and events. Like that's it, that's all they do. They just follow Formula One. So when Formula One landed in Austin, it's like, well, you've got Formula One and you got the racetrack and the cars, but then there's like a hundred side parties and events and gatherings and they have nothing to do with the Formula One people. It's just, there's this party that follows around Formula One. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as this the tribe gathering has gotten more and more attended and more and more people involved, I'm thinking like, uh-oh, we're, we're spawning a new, uh, like a, a week-long following event pre and post Bastards Ball. <laughs> I'm not sure whether you are single-handedly sponsoring the La Quinta or whether yeah. you're burning them to the ground. It's one of the two, and I can't figure out which. Yeah, I don't think they're certain either. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I turned up there on the first night. I went downstairs and, and thought, oh, I'll go down and see if there's anyone here. And, you know, maybe there'll be two or three people sitting around a table having a drink. No. That's no, <laughs> that's not how that works. Nope. <laughs> I won't spoil the surprise for anyone that hasn't experienced it yet. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, this is this is a good question, man. How are you feeling about this year? Oh. I, I mean, I have to imagine this is just an absolute turmoil of emotions and no logistics idea. for you. Yeah, I'm less worried about logistics and more worried about becoming responsible for harming tribe members. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, no, like, I feel you. Like, look, I don't give a shit about canceling schedules or deposits or, you know, I don't give a shit about any of that. Um, we can reserve things and plan things and we can cancel them and lose money. I don't care. What I care about is we get to that point and it turns out that the curve hasn't flattened and things are, everyone opened up and things went boom. And yeah. it happens right around the time that we invite 500 people to pack into a, you know, 20 acre campus. And then they all go back to the respective states and countries. And my God, like that, there's, I mean, I don't know. So I'm, yeah, it's still, it's scheduled for September. And so all I can say right now is by September, we'll have a much better idea whether or not this thing has a second spike. Yeah. Because I think if we have a second spike, According to all the statistics, it looked like it's going to land in July or August, right? So, you know, right after everybody opens back up again. <laughs> so if by July and August, it's still skyrocketing and exploding and we haven't figured out a game plan, there's a very real chance we'll be postponing it. Uh, but, but again, we just don't know. Just like everybody else, 
Mm. We just don't know. But I don't know that I could live with myself if it turns out something we created it kills a tribe member. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? that's, that's, like, just, I don't, that's against everything that you're in for, right? How do you... Yeah, I don't know how you sleep after that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of... A lot of small businesses, obviously, in this very similar predicaments with yeah, totally different reasons for it. Yeah, yeah do you, we talked real quickly backstage about you know how this has affected you. Yeah. Do, do you want to run through that real quickly? Because I'm we yeah, gotta get I can do a I can do a short version. It's just yeah. more uh, it's more depressing than fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I I also think uh, we didn't what what we didn't talk about is that some of the things that you are doing to to sort of counteract this. But one of the questions I did have going forward was, you know, a, a few opportunities that you see on how people can i don't want to say capitalize on the situation because that's a really dick move but no i know i know survive uh, as a business, mean by I that guess. though i think um what it's going to do is for so I'll, I'll approach both those questions i think what it should do if brands are paying attention is give them the opportunity to spend some emotional and financial energy in a direction they should have been developing the whole time yeah. And if that looks like capitalizing, then that's just a side effect. Because what's actually happening is like, we've got no choice. Our reps can't go to the bars because the bars are closed. But we need to be spreading the word of the brand and making sure that when we open back up, people want to choose us. What do we do? Oh, look, the internet and YouTube and social media and streaming videos and the Facebook videos, all that we've been talking but ignoring for years. Yeah. Hey, let's do that. And so I think we're going to see, a, I mean, we already are seeing a flood of online content from everybody, brands, new channels, reps, you name it. Mm. Um, and I think once that explosion subsides a little, we're going to see who stuck it, what lingered, who figured out a new thing they could do, who has a new style, who showed up new in the landscape and turns out they're actually doing something really cool. And then, you know, the vast majority of them will kind of dissipate and fall off and lose momentum and realize it's way harder work than they thought it was going to be. <laughs> and, oh, it's totally easy putting yeah. out videos on the internet, oh, yeah. isn't it? No yeah. big deal. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, people fall into yeah, that I trap think, a lot. I think we'll see that. We, we were lucky. We were one of the only distilleries that I know of. Well, I mean, we were impacted period, right? We had to close our tasting room and that was, you know, a third to half of our income. Yeah, well. And um, you don't you don't lose half of your income and not have it affect you. <laughs> but we were in a position because of the Patreon and because we've spent our entire business career and the entire history of Crowded Barrel focused completely on our people online. That there was like there was no disruption of our interaction with our people at all. Mm. I mean, we missed hanging out with some of them on Fridays and Saturdays, you know, but that was the that's a tiny percentage of uh, interacting with our people, right? Yeah. So uh, the Patreon and uh, and then allowing us to do bottle sales every week to try to keep re replacing the tasting room income has kept us where we haven't had to fire anybody. We haven't had to cut anyone's hours. Everyone has gotten paid everything they always got paid before. And the only difference is the bartenders lost tips money. But Which we pay them. It is rough, but we yeah. pay our bartenders very well. Uh, yep. We do not pay them like service industry. I'm, I'll just leave it at that. We, we They get paid very well. <laughs> and uh, for, especially for the industry, but. I mean, um, they deserve it. Like the, no, no, your entire paid. experience is set up around being an experience, right? And if you're and coming through the pacing bar, yeah, they get paid what I think frontline bartending service server staff should get paid. Period. Yeah. Um, so it just has to be happens to be astronomically higher than what's industry standard in the U.S. <laughs> so, uh, but losing tip money is real. It probably cut what they were making, you know, down by a third at least. Um, if not in half, uh, because our people who tip are at the distillery are very generous. So we managed to replace that by monetizing the Whiskey Tribe channel, which we've never done before. Um, and so just generically YouTube monetization, 100% of that money we've been funneling back to the bartenders. And, um, and then we did a live stream 
what a week and a half ago. And uh, because we're monetized, now people can, what do you call it when you give money on the live stream on YouTube? Like uh, super, super chat, chat or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. So because we're monetized now, people can do that. And so we- Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, we gave 100% uh, of that money from that live stream back in. So I think we've, I think we've effectively replaced even the tips that we're getting at this point. Um, but again, that's just because our entire business model was something that closing the tasting room had a disruption, but not a we're dead now effect. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there's two things to this too, right? There's, there's the initial just don't die straight up right. out of the gate, but then there's also stop the bleeding and be able to get back to where you were. Yeah. Beforehand the only afterwards. Right now is a lot of the money that we're using to stay in business with the whiskey sales was money that we had intended on using as in, as investing in new stuff. Like that and so, still that you were looking yeah, at. Yeah, sure. so like the bottle sales and things like that, usually they go into buying more barrels. Right now they're going into keeping everybody paid. So yeah. it it's going to hit us again in you know, a little while from now, but I, I still think we're going to be okay. I, I guess where I was going with that before is that you're in a position where you're not losing key people, right? Some some people right. to stop the to stop the initial death have had to let people go. Yeah, and then that's going to hurt them so yeah. much. Well, either it was an opportunity to get rid of dead weight. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I know. I happen to know a handful of companies who are like, we're using this opportunity to get rid of a whole bunch of people that we've needed to get rid of for a long time, and uh, so <laughs> yeah. We let go like, you know, 50 people. We're only bringing back like 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but for the yeah. people that have lost key key members and mm -hmm. especially in a in something like a small business where you you have to let people go in a in a distillery. Yeah. Or when you're letting go characters that that bring clientele in. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that that's going to be rough going forward for people, man. That's it so is. it's great to hear that you have avoided that whole situation you know yeah well the, it was it was you know it's the patreon that avoided that whole situation for us yeah so they yeah. saved our ass <laughs> well i mean they they started it too right mm -hmm. oh, like, it's their damn distillery <laughs> yeah <laughs> i let, this is a good spot to switch over into starting a distillery so oh. i, I would have i'll re i'll record an intro so people have the base knowledge of, of, of how you've done it. So okay, cool. rather than talking specifically about what you've done, because I think that's really unique and it's an awesome model, don't get me wrong, but recreating right. that model is going to be, you know, that's a, that's a tricky road for people to walk down. Yeah. Let's talk a little more generically from a, I guess a business point of view and from a marketing point of view, right? The, the, the cornerstone steps, the cornerstone things that you need to get in place. If you're from, from the idea of, starting to think about should I open a distillery through to opening up you right. know, and, and in your mind, what the key points are between A and B? Uh, number one, start to get to know the people who are already in the industry in your area. Before you even do anything else, start going to their distillery tasting rooms when they open, go to their yeah. bars, buy things, uh, ask them questions, see if you can talk with them, volunteer to help bottling days and you know offer support um i would start with that um because these are the people who are going to help you survive once you get rolling because as you go along there's countless hundreds to thousands of questions you're gonna have that mm. you can't find in a book and you don't read anywhere and there's no graduate degree program to teach you and yeah. the only, and you go on the internet and all you're finding is home forums where most of the information is bullshit, as you know. <laughs> and, uh, and if instead you can go down the street and be like, hey, I can't keep my uh, fermentation temperature under control. And I don't know where it's going wrong because this thing I bought, they told me was supposed to do X. But, and they're like, oh, yeah, but what that company won't tell you is that in this climate, you're going to have to do Y and Z first, and then it will work, you know, and then I'll, you know, you could have that in a five minute conversation if they know you, right? And they trust you. Yeah. And you would be shocked. My, my experience is almost everybody in the entire industry that we've encountered, it works aggressively to help each other. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, there are countless stories of people like Ty Fels Mandalusia stepping in on other craft stories in Texas, helping them solve huge problems. Uh, and then just going and charging nothing and then going back to the story of making whiskey. I mean, the whole whiskey industry owes Ty Phelps in, in Texas. I mean, I'm pretty certain he's had a hand in helping almost every active whiskey distillery in the state, <laughs> right? Yeah, well. At, at yeah. some level, right? He's just a giver and yeah. uh, extremely knowledgeable. Um, and came from so, a really cool background on the, yeah, especially brewer. on the brewing and fermentation yeah, yeah. side of things, right? Exactly. So, and he's a scientist, man. He's a He's super hardcore about shit. Um, but I would say, so get to know people, get to become a regular face, invest in other people's livelihoods, you know, spend some time. And while you're doing that, get a lawyer. First, very <laughs> first thing, get the best liquor lawyer that you can find in your area. And you can even talk to the stories about that. Like, Hey, cause there's no conflict of interest with another company having a lawyer of the same years, unless you know, you guys go to court against each other. <laughs> <laughs> refer back to step one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. refer back to not being a dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so get a lawyer because a good lawyer is going to solve so many things that you never thought you needed to account for. And it can't be a generic lawyer. It needs to be a, a liquor industry lawyer, right? That uh, We got one. Her name is Kimberly Frost. Um, she's based in Austin. Her firm is probably... Her firm handles, I would assume, from the people I know working with her, probably the majority of the distilleries in Texas. Her firm, the guy who founded the firm, was instrumental in writing a lot of the liquor laws back in the day, right? Convenient. So they know people yeah. <laughs> and they know what they're doing. We hired her and we, uh, we are like, okay, we need to apply for the license, federally and state. And she's like, okay, here's what you're gonna do. I need you to fill out these pieces of information. We'll build the forms. We're gonna submit them. Uh, and then as soon as it submits, the on that day, wait one hour, I'll email you. When I email you, call these four phone numbers and say this script that I'm gonna email to you. <laughs> I'm like, yes, ma'am. So yeah. We, yeah, so we <laughs> sent it all, we did, we made the call. We had our federal license approval in two weeks. That's I don't know the American system, but that's unheard of, I'm sure. No, no, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, and then we had the state one only a little bit after that, and that got delayed because our neighborhood people decided they wanted to fight it. Uh, but not all of them. One guy who happened to be the head of the HOA, <laughs> and he managed to convince four other people in a neighborhood of like 600 that it wasn't a good idea, and that was enough to hold us up for six weeks. Uh, but she was instrumental in all of that, right? So everywhere we've turned and we've almost gone, hey, we want to do this. She's like, hey, 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 no, don't do that. You want to say this and it'll be fine. Do this and call these people. It'll all be fine. You'll get this, this, and this. You don't need to worry about this. They'll tell you you do. You don't need to. Here's why. And man, I don't know what we would have done without her. So it's just, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. until you figure out you're in the quagmire, right? And having yeah. someone that can just hold you by the hand and walk you through that stuff. And that's true even if you've worked at the distillery before because there are questions that get asked that you've never had to think of when you're starting it versus just working at one. Well, that's uh, the thing, right? Even even if you've personally started it, you think mm -hmm. think back to something you created. Someone was asking me for advice on how to set up a YouTube channel. Oh, Jesus. I, and I was like, I Where don't do know, start? dude. I've done that once, and that was like four years ago. You know, yeah. If you talk about the day-to-day -day running of it, that's a different thing. I can help you out yeah. there. Uh, yeah, so and if these people are dealing with that, day in day out you mm -hmm. know yeah that's crazy um what about from a almost a proof of concept point of view you're gonna you're gonna get to the point of no return with these things eventually where you you kind of have to shit or get off the pot you know you gotta you gotta commit what sort of things would you suggest people look for to see if there is actually a viable business here you know are, are you would you be focused more on the target market and the people that you can reach would you be focused more on the numbers, on, on, you know, cost versus potential sales and all that sort of stuff? I am, or you man, take a stab? I am absolutely the wrong person to answer that question because we built our business totally backwards. You did. <laughs> Coming, yeah, you built a following in a community. Completely backwards. Yeah, we built a customer base with no product. Yeah. And we grew yeah. it and grew it and grew it and grew it. And then we were like, do you guys want some whiskey? And they're like, yeah. And we're like, okay. 
Here you go. <laughs> that's, I mean, so that's what I would do. <laughs> but it's, but a, it's a real thing, right? You don't I'm have saying, to build a community like that through YouTube. There's other ways to no. build a, a client base before you have a product. Mm -hmm. I would say if I was starting one just generically, like if I was like, okay, I've had enough of Austin, I'm going to move to, I don't know, screw it. I'm going to move to East. I'm going to head out to Beaumont and go out into the boonies. Out over by Louisiana, and uh, I'm gonna make whiskey over there. Then, what I would probably try to do is not do what all of the kings of Texas whiskey were already doing. It's like, look, Balconis is kicking ass at malt, Andalusia kicking ass at malt, uh, Garrison's kicking butt at bourbon, Balconis is making kick ass bourbon. Still, Austin's do. I don't know. I would try to find something, but it's like I'm gonna pick a little niche corner. I'm going to do something slightly different than everybody else is doing it. And then just focus, double down on quality and then figure out how I'm going to make money while the whiskey ages and while I start letting people know. And so basically if I was starting from scratch, I would try to find a way, not a unique selling proposition, but probably a unique production method. Right. right. So and, or a unique ingredients or yeah, and something would, that makes the product itself stand out. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and again, at some level, you're still just going to be making whiskey if you're doing, I'm assuming you're making whiskey, but um, yeah. And then in the meantime, I would just say, keep your overhead as low as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. stay invisible for as long as you can. Cause I mean, honestly, that's what I do. If I, if I had had to build this from scratch, I would have tried really hard to be able to exist for three to four years without anyone really knowing what was happening. And basically just sell through a little tasting well, room. Well, and... yeah, maybe. And even then I would keep it on the down low and just be like, everyone's about to show up at some event with some amazing crap and all the industry people on the area would know who I was because I've been working really hard to support them in the meantime. And so I would just build anticipation of like, there's this dude out in Beaumont. He's doing some cool shit, man. Where do you get it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't even know what it's called don't know where it is yeah yeah or you do something totally opposite uh you know you find big money and you do like what rabbit hole did in kentucky build a huge brand off of sourced whiskey while building your distillery and then eventually catch up to the existing product with the stuff you made yeah this is another thing that i feel like i have to talk to you about is mm -hmm. the 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 lag period between starting a distillery and having product to sell is killer for whiskey. And let's face it, it you've is. got it kind of good in Texas, man. Like that, yeah. that makes things a whole lot easier. So the the draw or the allure to get into either white spirits or into sourced spirits in yeah. that lag time is huge, right? Because Unless you've got deep pockets and you can afford to sit for four years, you have to do one of those two things. Yeah. You or just don't you, have a choice. Yeah, or, or you find some other, but you know, like you create a swanky ass restaurant with your tasting room and you run as a restaurant for two years, whatever. You yeah, have to but, do something to bring But in here. Texas, you can't do that because that's a different license and it's a oh, violation yeah. of the three tier system. God and damn it, so Texas. You can't, yeah. own a, you can't own a retail liquor license and a distillery manufacturing license. Yeah. Now you your brother could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your, your brother could own the restaurant and you could own the distillery. That yeah. might work. But you anyway. A, a totally not crowded barrel restaurant opening up right? 600 meters down the road. Yeah. I just got to find a brother. Yeah. <laughs> my, my sister doesn't want to do it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to find a long lost brother. I would say you just pick one, you know, which yeah. is, and, and all you're doing is just picking your storyline, right? Yeah. This which is, is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Pick your storyline. So, do you want the storyline to be, we make these really amazing clear spirits uh, and that are highly crafted and specialized. We're, we're doing, you know, three variations of, aqua, you know, uh, uh, what is the, the Swedish clear spirit? I can't I'm remember. Sure. Anyway. Uh, like a white uh, whiskey, basically? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like herbal. It's closer to gin than anything else. But instead of a high juniper, it's, high is something else my mind's going blank anyway i'm not sure so we have all these really cool crafted clear spirits and just wait you know like game of thrones 
whiskey yeah. is coming. <laughs> whiskey is coming, you know? And uh, and you just keep telling that story, right? We're working really hard on crafting all these things, but the whiskey's coming. Uh, and that's because a cool story. It, it is. And, and let's be honest, I know there's people exactly like you out there that are, are trying to break down the wankiness of the whiskey industry mm. heavy-handedly. But let's face it, it's still kind of wanky. Like it, you know, it's just the way it is. So if you come yeah. out of the gates and you open a distillery and then you go all in on vodka and gin, and then mm -hmm. you don't really think about that story, and then in two years' time, oh, by the way, we've got whiskey, you, you run the risk of whiskey people just never taking you seriously. Yes. Oh, they're, they're the guys that do vodka and gin, and now they've made a whiskey, so it must be shit. Yeah. And they don't even get exactly. exactly. So do you see any other like traps or pitfalls that people could fall into if they decide to go with white spirits or, or you know, even like rum or something else they can produce quicker. No, nah, just the, just the one, which is just make sure that every, everyone on your business is telling the story of what you intend to do. Yeah. Right. So that yeah. no one gets to assume that's your vodka, the vodka joint. Yeah. Right. And I think and, it's important uh, too, that yeah. you, you said that you're making the, you're making the, the white spirits with the same mentality and reason that you're going to make your, your whiskey. It's yeah. not, Oh, we've got whiskey coming. So we're making some shit to make some money on the, on the way. It's exactly. we're making the very best. Yeah, you're gonna, you know, or, there's the age old, you know, give you prove yourself in small responsibilities before you're allowed big responsibilities. Right. And so like, look, if you can't be trusted to make quality stuff while you're waiting on the whiskey, why should we trust the whiskey? Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you're if you're viewing the first two years of your business as filler content, then I don't know. I have a hard time believing that somebody who's comfortable phoning it in for two years on the thing they're selling to people is going to change that attitude all of a sudden when the whiskey arrives. Yeah. So like either, <laughs> yeah, that's a really either good you're the, yeah either you're the kind of person who phones shit in and you're fine with it, or you're not. And so I would I, I really hate it when and it usually doesn't happen with the owner and the distiller they usually get it but it's usually frontline staff or a bartender somewhere where you walk in they haven't got the whiskey yet and they'll say some version of like yeah we're working on the whiskey i mean we got this shit right now too you know and i can make some good cocktails with it but the whiskey's coming right yeah. it's like no screw you man it, you gotta you gotta promote the shit out of all the intent going into the clear spirits yeah. before you can talk about the whiskey that's coming so that's one path right yeah um, so let's flip to the sourcing side of things the and other the side is pitfall there <laughs> yeah there's an obvious pitfall uh which is if you're gonna source just tell everybody tell them why tell them where you're same thing you're working on your own stuff and uh make it a different brand right if the brand's really successful, then you're never going to have a hard time continuing to source it and sell it. So there's no downside, right? And and what you're doing in the meantime is carving holes into the industry with your sourced whiskey, you know, breaking down the barriers to retail and things so that you now have all the relationships and connections. And when your your step is finally ready, you just slide it behind and go, here's our thing. And now we make a big deal. We've already got all the doors open to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you just got to be honest about it. You know, don't start and pretend like it's yours and then later have to be like, well, it wasn't ours, but now it is. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that drives me nuts. You're like, well, yeah. aren't these guys sourced? Well, no, they they used to be. But now they're actually making their own stuff. It's like if I hear that one more time, it's like, yeah. Yeah. you know, what I want to hear is like, are those guys sourcing things? Yeah, but that's Eleanor. This is. Yeah a totally different line, right? This yeah. is stuff they made. Eleanor is always sourced, right? Or like uh, Treaty Oak did it. Hey, this is red-handed bourbon. Why? Because we stole it from Canada and Tennessee and Kentucky, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, you can steer uh, right into this, man. Like people right. are, the, the, the idea of uh, the secret 11 herbs and spices sort of advertising in the market mm -hmm. is just, I don't know. I feel like it's dead, man. People don't want that shit anymore. They want the they want a peek behind the door. They want honesty. Yep. And and I think above anything, they want someone that gives a shit that's actually making it right. They want someone yeah. that cares. And be proud of the source stuff. The same yeah. way that you would with the new make. Say, look, we didn't just pick some random place who would send us whiskey and bottle it to stay alive. 
like we could have sourced from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And when we got these barrels, we did X, Y, and Z to them before we were ready to release them. You know, yeah. I mean, it, you once again, you have to show that you care in everything before you get to the stuff that you're making. And just because it's a source product doesn't mean it has to be a commodity product, which is what you're getting right. at, right? So you can yeah. source it, but you can be very selective about what you source. And then you bring yep. it in and whack it in a barrel in Texas. Right. And now suddenly that's not anything else that, you know, it's it's now a unique yep. product. Look, we poured uh, Eleanor for the MGP reps when they came to visit uh, earlier this year. Yeah. They stopped by, they were visiting accounts and they came by to visit us. And we were like, hey, taste this. And the both reps tried it. We didn't tell them what it was. So, hey, taste this. The both tried it. They're like, holy crap, this is amazing. This is like deep and molasses. And really, this is, is this what Texas is making? And it's like, actually, that's what you're making. <laughs> <laughs> we just slapped that, a little Texas on top of it. <laughs> yeah, that's yours. Yeah, but it sat in Texas for six months. And that was all it took to completely alter the profile. They did not recognize it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like not at all. They kept passing it back and forth going, can you believe this? This is, I don't even know what this is. And now we taste it and we're like, yeah, we can see the transition from classic MGP to Texas MGP, but it's definitely a different product when Texas gets its hands on it. I mean, yeah. still made it MGP and all it proves is MGP makes kick-ass whiskey. Yeah. And it can, stand up, it can stand up to all kinds of climates. Yeah. 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 Totally. I think there's, I mean, there's also a way too to, as long as you know what your story is, mm -hmm. like you said from the beginning, right? You have to know what your story is. You're going to be able to find ways to source and be true to that story. Yeah. So if your, if your story is that you're all about the local, you know, we're on our local family farm and like, like Thai, you know, you've kind of yeah, got yeah. that thing going on, then you're going to be able to find a way to influence MGP whiskey with your local farm. Whereas right. if you're all about, you know, specialty specific ingredients that you can get, you're going to be able to find a way to do that too. And maybe, yeah. you know, obviously you're not going to influence what MGP put into their grist because that ain't happening. No, but. it's not happening. <laughs> but, but they are starting to realize that they're not the only player in the game. So when yeah. we first, here's a funny story, a little inside baseball. When we first started working on the story, like back when we were shooting videos on a concrete plat, I reached out to MGP and said, hey, we're looking at sourcing first. And uh, we got this guy, Barry, who's still our rep. And Barry was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, our minimum order is 50 barrels. Ooh. I'm like, sweet Jesus. And how much is a barrel? And he's like, well, between uh, $1,200 and $2,000. I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> huh. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any financial backers rex and i did not get a loan we didn't yeah. get a credit card uh we used patreon and uh our, our own personal bank accounts to build this thing and uh, and just scraping by and the generosity of of our landlord uh, which happened to be Roy Williams, Rex's dad, who owns the property and, and offered to fund building the building. And then we could work it back from him on, you know, as a landlord paying stuff. And um, so we're like, oh, crap, what do we, <laughs> we can't do that. So we found that there was another company called Ultra Pure Spirits, Ultra Pure. And I think they're also called Signature Spirits, but we knew them as ultra pervision and they all they do is act as a middleman for people who are willing to source and people looking for sourced stuff at smaller quantities. Oh, so right. their minimum barrel order was four. And so we went to them and we ordered 12 barrels of MGP bourbon. Yeah. Right? So they're getting the buying power through their company. And then now our price went up, for... up instead of being, you know, 1500 a barrel, it was 1800 a barrel, but we only had to buy 12, not 50. So yeah. that was all we could afford. So we, um, we did a few rounds with ultra pure. And then I get a call from Barry one day saying, Hey, um, you know, I, you guys still looking for whiskey or, you know, and I was like, yeah, Barry, we'd love to get stuff from you guys, but we can't afford 50 barrels. He's like, oh, no, no, we've we've changed all that. This is only, 
this is only like eight months later, right? Yeah. Well. Oh, we've changed all that. Our new minimum order is one barrel. Wow. <laughs> oh, you know what happened was MGP realized, like for a long time, they were the only ones in the sourcing game. And no one else, people were sourcing. I mean, not the only player, but like the only one willing to talk about offering sourced whiskey to the world. Yeah. A lot of other people were sourcing, you know, undisclosed Tennessee distillery, undisclosed Kentucky distillery, right? It was it was happening, but you had to be an insider. You had to know people and you had to buy on larger quantities. And and then all these people started opening it up. And then, then even more importantly, a handful of pretty big craft distilleries finally started having product old enough and in a large enough quantity, they started offering to source to other craft distilleries. And all of a sudden MGP realized, oh, uh, we're not the only ones competing for this market anymore. We got to up our game and make ourselves competitive. And uh, so, yeah, they dropped their minimum to one. And we're like, all right, fine. So we've been working directly with MGP ever since with Barry. And um, Ultra Pures now still regularly calls us and we're like, hey, guys, sorry, MGP sort of edged you out of that game for MGP yeah. because uh, there's no need for me to buy it from you and I can buy it from them and get it cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're also doing something pretty interesting with the Alliance mm -hmm. stuff, mm. right? That was the one thing I wanted to do more than anything else. That was my baby that I wanted desperately, which yeah. was, I love independent bottlers and there's only a handful of people even doing any version of it in the U S um, there's a ton of people doing it in Scotland. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. people doing it in Ireland, but in the U S there was, there was a really tiny, uh, compared to the rest of the U S whiskey industry was tiny. And I thought that that was a shame because we're tasting all these amazing craft distilleries every day on the vault and most people can't get them. And so I was thinking the beauty of an independent bottle is that if you fall in love with a brand like signatory or Duncan Taylor or single malt or Scotch malt whiskey society or Cadenhead or Alexander Murray or, you know, you name it. Um, single cast nation. Uh, if you fall in love with single cast nation and you're a fan of single cast nation, you're going to try whatever the hell single cast nation thought was yeah. a good idea. Right. Yeah. And that adventure might lead you to a distillery you never heard of. And now you are in love with and now you go find them and their other products. That's a really cool thing. Right. On the other hand, if you're already in love with a distillery and you find out that Single Cast Nation did an exclusive release of a distillery you already love and it's something that they would never sell. And so you're not ever going to get to taste if you only you do their products. Mm. Then as a fan of the original distillery, you get a chance to try something really unique. So you, there's no losing on independent bottling. It's just an amazing story. And I really wanted to do that. And I really wanted to focus on American craft. And so we did. Our first one was Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And uh, our second one, I think, was was our second one Balcones. Oh, man, my mind's going blank all of a sudden. Iron Root. Our second one was Iron Root. Then we did Balconis and then back to Iron Root. And, you know, and now we're doing, uh, we're adding in Ranger Creek, Treaty Oak. And um, there's another one. The advantage you had going into that mm -hmm. was that you had, like you said, you, you created a, a ready-made audience and customer base without right. having a distillery. Is is that something that you think is opening up more to someone who is a new, like opening oh, a new yeah. distillery? Do you think that smaller craft distilleries are into that? If they want to do it, absolutely. Like, look, when we reached out to Wyoming, we didn't even have a building yet. And yeah. they had never heard of us. They had no idea who we were. I mean, we had a community and an online presence. I told them, like, look, we're, you know, we're legit, I promise. But they had no <laughs> we're idea. We're on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, they had no idea who we were. And yeah, right. they still said, sure, why not? Sounds like a cool idea. Mm. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, an, that's amazing. And I keep finding that over and over with American craft, that if you reach them and you're not an asshole and you're like, hey, we want to do this cool thing, most of them are like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. We'll sell you a barrel. You can do what you want, you know? And and then, you know, we had to talk to them about, well, can we put your name on it? And they're like, well, 
you know, let's talk about what you're doing and how, and then they got a little, yeah, they got a little more involved. But once we explained what we were doing, they were like, yeah, sure. Feel free. Which is Uh, fair enough, right? You're, you're basically co-branding with them. It's, it's their right right to, to defend. No, that is absolutely reasonable. Absolutely. And we had a backup plan if they weren't willing to do it because we needed to sell the whiskey. But, uh, but then this is kind of a funny story. Uh, What actually happened was, uh, Nancy Fraley, the nose, Nancy Fraley is really famous in the American craft industry for being behind the scenes at more distilleries than you could possibly believe, helping guide their production, aging and blending and product releases. Uh, it's her palate that you taste over and over and over in a ton of distilleries across the U S. Um, and she does, by the way, a class with ADI American distillers Institute. She does a class every year on blending that they hold at Iron Root. It's a two-day class that they teach blending. And son of a bitch, go to that thing if you can at all make it before they sell. It's amazing. But I met her at the blending class at Iron Root. And I realized she was the one working with Wyoming, creating the whiskey that they were that we were looking at. Oh, right. And yeah, so I told her what we were doing. And she was like, oh, that's so cool. When you call Sam back, Sam Mead, when you call Sam back, tell him you need a barrel from rack B. <laughs> yeah, level level four and somewhere in the range of 187 to 243. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, so, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't get to go out and taste the barrels. They were just going to send us one, right? So I emailed Sam. I was like, hey, I need a barrel from, and I named all the stuff. And he emailed me back. He's like, Holy shit. Have Who you, have you cam- been talking to? Have you been cameras in here? Like what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, no, I was just talking to Nancy and she told me what I needed to request. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. we can do that. <laughs> and this whole thing goes back to the idea of what you've said right at the beginning, right? Get into be, the industry, be, get to know people. Don't be a dick. <laughs> don't, don't be a dick, yeah. And I mean, let's face it, if you're opening a craft distillery, you are going to be able to find something that fits your story and your marketing. Oh yeah. Sort of bend. You're probably going to find that a lot easier if you're sourcing from another craft distillery rather than MGP, you know? Yeah. And I think we're in an era, you know, we, the craft distillery numbers keep growing and people keep saying we're, there's a a glut and there's about to be a crash in the craft distilling world. And I'm like, dude, do you realize how big America is and proportionally how few whiskey distilleries there are? Um, and what, what I feel like I'm having to tell everybody is the same speech that I gave for a decade touring as an independent musician. And I would give, I would uh, talk at colleges to the music departments and, you know, it, and talk about surviving as an independent musician and how do you become, make a career in independent music. And over and over and over, you hear people say, I thought the music industry was dead, you know, and cause it's all digital now and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Here's what's dead. The era of rock star is over, right? So uh, if you want to be a pop star, yeah, you can give that a shot. There's always going to be pop stars because pop stars are products, right? And and they may also be amazing artists in their own right, but they're more of a product at the same time, right? But there's still going to be an infinitesimal number of those people. So it's bad odds. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like having a business model of winning the lottery. Like that's that's a bad idea. The if you want to be rich playing music, it, it, you, there are much better ways to make money with a lot less work. By the way, <laughs> if you want to get famous, there are much easier, faster, and simpler ways to get famous. But if you want to make music and make a decent teacher salary, like a normal working human being. You've never lived in a better time than right now. Yeah, right. right. So I would say uh, the same thing to craft distilleries. If you want to be rich, wrong business. <laughs> Just the wrong I think business. at this point in time, these people are figuring this out too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not an easy money-making machine, right? If you want to be famous or have like the next Jameson or the next Knob Creek or like, let's be honest. Odds are against you. It's probably never going to happen. Yeah. Right. Now, on the other hand, if you want to make the same kind of living you could make at a normal day job, 
work your ass off <laughs> and be king of a local, relatively local market and community, absolutely possible. No question. No different than any other small business in the town you live in, right? If you want to be as rich as the guy who owns the corner store that you go to or the guy who owns the one location restaurant that you go to, you know, and you know those guys, they're not coming and dropping their kids off at school in Porsches, right? They're not dropping their kids off. Their kid's having to walk because they're busy opening a restaurant at yeah, 5 a.m. Yeah, exactly. for, yeah, for the breakfast <laughs> crowd, right? It's like, so if you're yeah. willing to do that, then absolutely starting a distillery, do it. Just find, don't open up in Waco across the street from Balconis. Right? Oh, yeah. That, that's well, a just, bad business move. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. do go in and talk to Balconis because I... They from will the help you. In, yeah, from the outside in, the whiskey industry looks super secretive because that, for the longest time, is how the marketing's been, right? Like, look at Scotch yeah. and how Scotch is put together. It's never about opening the doors up and letting people in, seeing behind the curtains. Right. But when you get into the industry side of it, it it's quite different. And yeah. the last guy I talked to, the last podcast, number eight with Scott, we talked about figuring out how to land yourself an apprentice apprenticeship basically oh, yeah, this yeah. is what you said right like yeah. go in make yourself available make yourself valuable yeah like, you know we hired uh, we hired john gunsel who turned out to be just an astounding employee primarily because he's an astounding human being and it was just because he just kept showing up <laughs> <laughs> couldn't get rid of him yeah it was like yeah. I mean, he's he's a tribe member and has been for a while he started showing up on fridays he started showing up all the time. He started volunteering to help us with bottling. And they started asking him, hey, is there anything else you guys need? And then eventually I was like, look, John, I'm going to have to pay you because <laughs> this is getting embarrassing. No. Like, I can't just keep like, I want to be able to ask you to do things instead of like, hope you're free. And I can't do that if I'm just your volunteer. And you're working way too much as a to be a volunteer. This is just, we're not a charity. Like, do you want to work for us? And he was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I, I mean, the other, I think the other thing that Texas whiskey has worked out really quick too is the idea of, you know, the the tide lifts all boats. And yeah. anything you can do as your little, you know, as a little part of that, that bigger fish mm -hmm. <laughs> to promote Texas whiskey is only good for everyone. Yeah. And I, I see that opening up more and more as the i guess the craft versus the the behemoth sort of thing grows yeah. but have faith in that guys like if there's not that sort of community in where you are like why can't you be the one to start talking about it and start growing it yourself we like, had this not? talk we had this talk with uh we we've been doing a series of videos where we answer owners from small questions from small business owners across the u.s every uh week and then we've been putting that video out on youtube on the wizard academy channel and um, or on at American Small Business too. Anyway, one of the guys was like, "Hey, I work in a downtown. I have a small downtown store, and I really think that this should be a community of downtown business owners. And how do I get people to be a part of and build a community in downtown?" And our answer was like, "You should do it. Why, why are you asking? <laughs> like, there's not some magic trick. No. Like, it sounds like you really want this thing to happen. How come you haven't already done it?" Yeah, and if, if you're the one a, that really wants it to happen, yeah, you've if there's got the not drive a community, it, right? Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if there's not a community there right now, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> start it. Yeah. Like, what what are you waiting on? <laughs> yeah. So I guess I guess my point with that is that you, you don't have to stress about going in. It's not like you're committing espionage. You're not sneaking into this distillery to steal their secrets and then no. you know this is not how it works. There's no secret as you sauce. Know, no, no, as you know, and all the distillers know, I could take, I could go to Balcones. I could write down their mash bill, their source of their grain, their yeast strain, uh, the style, the pot still, and not, I, and I could come back to my place and attempt to recreate it identically, cuts and all. Mm -hmm. I'm still not going to make a Balcones whiskey. No, it, you really it not. doesn't. There's way too many variables. It doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. I mean, you can... And same thing in music, you know, you can study guitarists for your whole life. You can be the biggest fan of the edge that's ever lived and have all of his gear and play in a rock band in your town. And you're still not going to sound like you too. 
It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. And the, they, the beer guys figured this out years and years and years ago, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's very few... I mean, most craft distill- uh, craft breweries now, if you go in and ask them what their mash bill, is, mash bill is and what their hot regiment is, they'll give it to you. They don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. And they'll, like, like, yeah, go home, luck. have at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and yeah, oh, you can clone our recipe at home? Awesome, man. Bring me some in. Let me have a try. Oh, good job. Yeah. That's I would love like, to see how that compares to what we're doing here. That's literally the attitude, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's not about being sneaky, guys. It's about referring back to rule number one of don't be a dick. And <laughs> yeah. Like honestly trying to help them out, honestly being a you know a brand ambassador for them with your group of friends, bringing people in to see the distillery. Yeah, and don't just ask, 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 ask. No. You know, it's it's like like look, uh, this is a thing that I always said uh, once again in music, but I still say it in the distillery. When I, I get emails, and I'm sure you get these. I mean, I get oh shit, man, fifty plus emails a week asking me questions or asking me for advice. Yeah. And I just can't answer them all. It sucks, doesn't right? it? I just, just have, n- there's no way. Yeah. And sometimes the question is interesting enough that I'm like, oh, that's an interesting question. And then I get involved in it because I think it's interesting. Yeah. Most of the time, it's something that I'm, all I want to reply is like, have you heard of Google? <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, or have you heard of punctuation? Because I'm looking yeah, at you, 3,000 you know, words with no page breaks. So yeah. Like, so, see you later. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't now. I have a whole different response when I get an email from somebody who's trying to solve a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. I read those right when someone says, "Hey, I've noticed this thing," and you know, I was wondering if you wanted me to. I would totally be willing to handle that thing you guys mentioned you needed. Here's my information, and I'm like, interesting, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so, uh, in music, anytime I wanted to break into a local scene. I would just spend three to six months listening, going to hear musicians, going to bars, meeting people, buying CDs, and trying to figure out what is it that the artists in this community needed that no one was doing. And then yeah, I would right. try to solve that problem for everybody. And that's how I got myself into the community. The awesome thing about a craft distillery or a new distillery is that it's a small business, right? And I've been mm-hmm. harping on about this a whole lot, which means that they need everything everything they need an accountant mm-hmm. they need a photographer they need marketing yes. look they if somebody had come to me, <laughs> if someone had come to me in the last six months and said like hey i love you guys and i love your whiskey i don't know anything about production or whiskey or distilling but i know quickbooks and i've been an accountant for 20 years do you guys need help in the office i've been like what, what? i'm coming to your house right now and i'm bringing a laptop yes i yeah. need you <laughs> yeah yeah and and it doesn't have to be money. It can be that someone ends up paying someone, but it can also yeah. just be that, you know, I've got knowledge, you've got knowledge. Mm-hmm. Let's have a drink and and chill. I, I mean, mm-hmm. why not? <laughs> why not? Absolutely. All right, Daniel, this has been an absolute blast, man. I've got yeah, a couple man. of questions for you from the the uh, Patreon. So after oh, we yeah. say goodbye to everyone else, we'll, we'll do that and that'll go up in the full version oh, good. On, on Patreon. Okay. Cool. Um, but thank you so much, man. I, yeah. I thoroughly appreciate it. I know how busy you are. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And Yeah, um, thanks for the time. Thank you. Yeah, I tried to stay out of your hair at the event because I knew you didn't have time. <laughs> I know. I'm just <laughs> hanging out with you, but you know. You know what's going oh, on. Oh, I know. Trust me, dude. I'll yeah. stay the hell out of your way then. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be back in Texas. I'll catch you again sometime, sure. There we go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, mate. We're out. Cheers. Thanks, dude. That was perfect. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've got some questions from the pa- Patreons. Number one, how does it feel not being the only bald man at the office now? <laughs> you know the depressing <laughs> thing? You know the depressing thing is I uh, was with Rex yesterday, and his hair's already growing back. I know, it's, right? It's already like a quarter inch tall. It's kind of like, lost the, the effect. What the hell? Like, <laughs> ah, Jesus. You just can't lose with that hair. It's so glorious. It just won't and give it, up. And it doesn't matter how ridiculous it is what you do to him. He just steers into it. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be nice to see him be a little bit bashful just for a little while. You know, the whole point of this uh, is for us to be. A, yeah. Rex has no shame bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for other startup businesses, what's an example of a good tactic to weather this pandemic? I think we kind of touched on that. Yeah, I think we hit as on. much as I could possibly yeah. give on that. And it's just. Uh, keep doing all the shit that you should have been doing the whole time find a way to talk to your people 
Yeah. And dude, like, see it as a silver lining, man. Like, I know it sucks. It's going to suck. But there's whatever it happens to be. Maybe, maybe you can't produce what you were producing. Maybe you can't sell to the people you were selling. But whatever that means is that there's less strain on your business somewhere, right? The one maybe thing I would hammer economically, but yeah, you've got more the time one thing I would add, I would add this, and this is real. If, no matter how big your company or how long you've had your company, everybody undervalues the their assets. And what I mean is when you're stuck with my primary income and our primary business model is X and that's no longer viable. If the wrong thing to do is try to struggle to figure out how to shoehorn X into the current environment in a half-assed way. Yeah. Yeah. The right thing to do is say, okay, forget the product we think we make. What equipment do we have? What resources do we have? What infrastructure do we have? What people do we have? And given that, what could we do with all of this that would work? Yeah. yeah. Right? What yeah, is something beautiful. we could do with all these existing assets? And whether or not it meets our original plan, doesn't matter. But start looking at all the components and humans and space that you have and viewing it as assets and come to a conclusion instead of forcing everything to fit the, the product conclusion, right? Yeah. And inevitably what you'll find is you have way more value than you realized if that the, the stuff you have and the people you have are capable of far more than you were asking them to do originally. And that's a really good way to sort of pivot into, uh, I mean, nowadays they call it what, pivoting, I guess, but yeah, uh, you, know, you start with one business meaningless. model, realize the business model is not working, totally change the business model mid flow based on what assets you currently have, you know? Yeah. And let's face it, the, the entire landscape's changed. At the mm -hmm. So it's what might've been a slow change or what might've been, you just had the wool over your eyes and you couldn't see what was going on. Yeah. People are being forced to look at it. Right. So yep. silver lining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, uh, Daniel and Tom took three attempts to swing a bourbon drinker to a scotch drinker. Oh, I remember that video, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, what would you change? Uh, wait, wait. Uh, would you change the choices of scotch you selected now? Would you I don't even remember what they were. I haven't seen that video since we shot it. I don't um, remember either. I think that might have been the first video I ever actually watched of you. That was really early on, wasn't it? Or oh, being... it was so early on. That was like, like the first year like, of the whiskey school. Yeah. It, that was um, probably four plus years ago. It would be, man. Yeah. Because I started yeah. watching you before I, way before I started the channel. Yeah. I think I started watching you when you had like 3,000 subscribers or something. Oh, like yeah. That, that was definitely four plus years ago. Yeah. Um, what well, what would you pick question, now, man? Though. Yeah. What, I don't know what I would pick, but yes absolutely it would be different from what i picked at the time because now i've tasted so many damn whiskeys that i have a whole other list in my head of things that i think are like gateways to other categories now it'd probably still be space side focused mm. right coming from um, a bourbon drinker yeah yeah but I don't know. It depends. There's been some really <laughs> amazing unpeated Buna, you know, the Bunahaban mostly unpeated, uh, or you know, the Brugladi unpeated, even though they're malty and musty. And then I have discovered something that caught me totally by surprise. Over and over and over, I have these people who hate Scotch but love Octomore. I I was just gonna say sometimes you just. You need to throw a hammer at the situation. Right? I have it's no like, idea fine. how that's possible, but Chrissy yeah. Martin, Chrissy Martin's one of them. Little dab of bourbon does not like scotch at all. Is devoted to bourbon, but she likes Octomore, and that makes no sense to me. But sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think sometimes if you if you're if you're in love with bourbon, and then someone gets you to try scotch, you're constantly trying to turn it into bourbon in your head, right? You're constantly right. like, this is whiskey, and it should taste like you know, what it is that I enjoy. But if you throw something completely out of left field at them, like there's, there's no bitch. way that you can get it compared. Look, Jesse, I'm stealing that comparison and I'm not even, <laughs> gonna, I'm not even going to give you any credit. Just... <laughs> That's fine. I'll know. I'll know, Daniel. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a brilliant thought. And I have never, it's never occurred to me before that if you, part of the frustration of not liking something is when you expect it to be something other than what it is. Or that, or it's not even so much that you expect it to be. It's just that your head is so defined of this. Yeah, is, this but that's is what, what I mean. Like, like you know, yeah, this, and it's close enough. Yum. It's close enough that it sort of is like that, but not in any of the ways that you like. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Octomore is so completely different. Your brain doesn't even go, this is not bourbon. It goes, what the hell is that? Yeah. So you can kind of reset. Yeah. It's I like, love um, that idea. I love steak. I'm all about porterhouse. Try the T-bone. Eh. It's not, mm. it's not porterhouse, but then how about custard pudding? Do you like custard pudding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Oh uh, yeah. There had to be a question about stills. What brand still are you going with? And I talked to Deb about this. So I think you don't have an answer to that. Do you? We do not have an answer. We are still uh, looking at stills and, and uh, we're still going to vote on it. Any, uh, the biggest, this is the last one, mate, so we can get out of here soon. Um, in, the biggest unforeseen surprise in building or planning the distillery and how did you get around it? Huh. I don't know the answer to that question. There were not a lot of surprises. That's because uh, you got a lawyer. and you... Because I got a lawyer and because... <laughs> That's how my brain works. I'm definitely a highly organized planner. And I try, I mean, my brain goes all different directions. So there were a lot of things that didn't work out like I thought, but nothing that was a complete surprise. Yeah, right. Um, the one thing I would say is always get more space than you think you would ever possibly need because you'll fill it faster than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a space that in your mind, you're like, there's no way we could use in like three weeks is like bumping into things and trying to shift equipment. And yeah. Yeah. Space, lots of space. I mm -hmm. mean, to be fair, the very fact that you've got a distillery has to be a surprise to you. Yeah. No, no, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a bunch, dude. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. So that was pretty freaking cool. It's always a pleasure to hang out and talk with Daniel, but it's great to be able to chill and talk shop with him as well. If, by some miracle, you've never seen the Whiskey Tribe or the Whiskey Vault on YouTube, do yourself a favor, jump on over there right now, check it out. Even if you're not 100% into their content for the content's sake, trust me, there's a whole lot you can learn from them from a marketing and a messaging point of view if you're thinking of opening your own distillery. Patreons, don't forget to jump on over to the Patreon page and grab the whole video. I'm putting the video of all of this up live for you, which includes the Q&A session at the end. Daniel was pretty generous with that, and we talked through a few things that you guys asked. So make the most of it, and don't miss out. This podcast was also brought to you by Adventures in Homebrewing. Visit homebrewing.org ctc for all your beer, wine, and spirits ingredients, and get free shipping in the lower 48. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Keep on chasing the craft. See ya.